Father, I, I thank you so much for your word and for uh, the wisdom that is contained in this book. And so, Lord, I pray that as I share from it today that you would be in the midst of it, that you would speak to the hearts and the minds of all those who are gathered here, and that uh, your truth would penetrate hearts and minds um, to the very marrow of their bones. And so we just give you thanks and praise, Lord, in all things, asking this now in Jesus' name. Amen. So, by a show of hands, who here enjoys criticism? All right, we have a couple. Couple, and several of them didn't seem particularly sincere. Um, interestingly, though, the Bible is pretty specific on the role of criticism in a believer's life. Let me just share from a couple of, uh, of Proverbs where you find a lot of uh, information about this. Proverbs 15.31 says, If you listen to constructive criticism, you will be at home among the wise. It's not bad. Proverbs 25.12 says, To one who listens... Valid criticism is like a gold earring or other jewelry. That's getting even better. Proverbs 28, 23. In the end, people appreciate honest criticism far more than flattery. That's a revelation to some, I'll bet. And then uh, finally, Proverbs 29.1, whoever stubbornly refuses to accept criticism will suddenly be destroyed beyond recovery. Wow. That's, uh, that's got to hit home. And I will be the first to admit, I dislike it intensely. Um, and, and, and I think part of that stems from the fact that criticism, unfortunately, um, is not always delivered well, Right? You know, sometimes it comes across very harshly. Um, and I found a couple of examples of that. There was a, a, a website called Business Insider. And they ran an article that was titled, Seven Brutally Honest Job Rejection Letters. <laughs> so I picked two. And here are two examples of how not to deliver criticism. All right. Now, the first one is from a, an independent record label in Seattle called Sub Pop. And it sent um, someone the following rejection letter. Dear loser, <laughs> thank you for sending your demo materials to Sub Pop for consideration. Presently, your demo package is one of a massive quantity of material we receive every day at Sub Pop World Headquarters. Your material is on its way through the great lower intestines that is the talent acquisitions process. We appreciate your interest and wish the best in your pursuit. Kind regards. P.S. This letter is known as a rejection letter. As if it wasn't clear from the first part there. And then there was this example from uh, the New Delta Review, which is a literary review magazine in Baton Rouge. And it sent one of its, um, someone who submitted something to them, uh, this letter. Thank you for submitting. Unfortunately, the work you sent is quite terrible. <laughs> well, there's no beating around the bush there. Please forgive the form rejection, but it would take too much of my time to tell you exactly how terrible it was. 
So again, sorry for the <laughs> form letter. Uh, so anyway, yeah. So pretty stunningly bad ways to, to sort of express this. Now, see, I learned fairly early on in my athletic career that um, criticism was just part of the game, right? I mean, if you were going to improve, you were going to have to take criticism on the way you played or the way you did certain things, and that was just part of the learning process. Now, wh what's interesting is that, especially in college, I, I played for two different coaches, one for three years and one for uh, my last year. And the very first coach um, was not good at delivering criticism. It was always sort of delivered in a very sort of personal and cutting way. Um, you know, something along the lines of, are your hands made of boards? Is that why you can't catch a ball? Uh, so you kind of get the idea, and sometimes it was a little worse than that. But the difference was the coach I played for the last year was able to criticize me, us, as a team, but he did so in a way that was still encouraging, right? You know, he let you know you'd done something wrong, but not in, in such a way that you felt completely demoralized or um, just terrible afterwards. And um, now, the thing was, you didn't want to make the same mistake again, especially shortly after he had been so critical but affirming because the affirmation kind of was a little less so the second time. But the point is that, you know, there is a right way and a wrong way, I think, to, to deliver criticism. And uh, today we're going to look at uh, a scripture that really kind of focuses, I think it provides a perfect example of not only criticism but sort of how we deal with it. Um, and it was uh, criticism that involved King David, of all people, um, who we don't really think about, maybe short of the issue with Bathsheba as being criticized a lot. Um, he had his issues, but uh, in this case, there was one case, at least that I have found, that he uh, suffered some fairly uh, epic criticism. And so if you have your Bible with you, turn to 2 Samuel chapter 16. And we're going to look at verses 5 through 14. So 2 Samuel 16, verses 5 through 14. And I'm going to read this from the New Living Translation today. So 2 Samuel 16, starting at verse 5. As David and his party passed Bahiram, a man came out of the village cursing them. It was Shimei, son of Jirah, a member of Saul's family. He threw stones at the king and the king's officers and all the mighty warriors who surrounded them. Get out of here, you murderer, you scoundrel, he shouted at David. The Lord is paying you back for murdering Saul and his family. You stole his throne and now the Lord has given it to your son Absalom. At last, you will taste some of your own medicine, you murderer. Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king, Abishai, son of Zeruiah, said, demanded. Let me go over and cut off his head. No, said the king. What am I going to do with you, sons of Zeruiah? If the Lord has told him to curse me, who am I to stop him? Then David said to Abishai and the other officers, My own son is trying to kill me. Shouldn't this relative of Saul have even more reason to do so? 
Leave him alone and let him curse, for the Lord's told him to do it. And perhaps the Lord will see that I am being wronged and will bless me because of these curses. So David and his men continued on, and Shimei kept pace with them on a nearby hillside, cursing as he went and throwing stones at David and tossing dust into the air. The king and all who were with him grew weary along the way, so they rested when they reached the Jordan River. So like I said, that's, you know, being cursed and having stones and dust thrown at you. That's pretty epic criticism, I think. And so if we kind of look at the first part of this, you know, we have this relative of Saul's. And if you know the backstory here, the fact sort of how David came to be king, um, you know, God anointed Saul king. Saul quickly lost that anointing through a lot of his behavior and decisions that he made and, and his unfaithfulness, really, to God. And so uh, God removed the anointing from Saul and uh, at, at a very early age anointed David as the future king. Even while Saul was still king, he no longer carried God's anointing. And um, Saul tried repeatedly to kill David. You know, there's several examples of him throwing spears at him and Fortunately, he was not a good shot uh, and missed and, you know, would send him into battles hoping that that would do it. That didn't work either. And so um, eventually Saul is killed in battle and David uh, is raised uh, to be king. But throughout all of that, Saul never, or excuse me, David never dishonored Saul. Right? I mean, that was sort of the interesting part of this, was that he understood this idea that, you know, God had anointed this man as king. And so I don't have the, the right, really, to do that. So despite that, this relative of Saul's really kind of doesn't really know the story. Right? He, he, like a lot of cases that we run into, Someone is not operating with all of the facts. And so, you know, this relative named Shimei really thinks that, you know, David is solely responsible for killing Saul and for wiping out his family, which also isn't true because we have a story that just a few verses or a few chapters back about Mephibosheth, who was Jonathan's son, who was a rightful heir who David not only takes care of, but invites to eat at his table. And so, you know, David really has gone out of his way to take care of Saul's family. But this relative doesn't see it that way. He refers to him as a murderer and a scoundrel. He says that he basically claims that he, you know, bloodshed over Saul's family, meaning that, you know, he believes that, that Saul's blood is on David's hands, which, you know, as I said, really was not the case. He says that he stole the throne. Well, he clearly did not. God gave him the throne. God anointed David king. And it was through Saul's own misdeeds that he found himself in this predicament. But again, um, you know, this relative doesn't understand all that. He's, he's a hurt person, right? I mean, his family has suffered what he feels is wrongful um, actions against them. 
And so the lesson I think that we sort of can take from this, this at least this first part, is that hurt people hurt people. You know, when, when someone gets hurt like that, the, the tendency is to strike out and to strike back. And, and Shimei was hurting because he believed that his clan had been wronged by David. And so, um, and typically what happens is that a lot of hurt people, some of the reason that they do this is because they sort of dislike themselves. There's something about themselves that bothers them. And when they criticize others, it's a way to validate themselves in their own eyes. So in other words, if I put you down, I, I raise myself up. At least that's what the thinking is. So if I make you less, now I can kind of see myself as more or greater. And so the ship has come in. Um, and so... One of the things that, that we need to do, I think, is that you know when, when one of these injured souls lobs this criticism grenade at you, um, probably the best way that you can diffuse it is just with understanding. You know, I think it's in, in sort of understanding that um, we may not know, in fact, we probably don't know what that person is going through, you know, in that particular moment. Um, and so the, the impressions that we have formed, I mean, it could be something as simple as, you know, the person that cuts you off in traffic, right? That happens to almost all of us at some time or another. And, you know, our first inclination is to salute them. <laughs> Not militarily so. Um, but you know, and yes, what they did was probably wrong, and it probably violates the, you know, the ideal of, of safe driving. But we don't know, you know, what has happened to that person that has got them in such a state. You know, um, I always recall the story, um, and I can't, I can't remember exactly who it was that told this, but. It was the story of an individual who's on a bus. He's going somewhere on this bus. And there is a father and three children that are there with him. And the children are just misbehaving tremendously. You know, just causing all kinds of racket and noise. And the person who's telling the story is, is there saying, you know, why in the heck does that father not get control of those kids? He's not doing what a parent ought to do. I mean, so this whole self-talk grumbling goes on in this guy's mind until uh, the bus ride comes to an end and they find that they're getting off at the same stop. And the individual telling the story has all these hard feelings, you know, because he's had to listen to these kids for who knows how many blocks or miles or whatever. And the father turns to him and he says, look, I I'm really sorry about, you know, all the noise, but um, my wife just passed away, 
at the hospital, and we're, we're just coming from there. And, you know, I just kind of don't have the mental energy to be able to deal with the kids right now. And it flipped his whole perspective. And see, that in that one instance, he learned what it was that was actually driving that. But so often we don't know which is why I think we always have got to err on the side of understanding, right? And know that we don't know the whole story. Um, and that that person may be acting, you know, for acting out for a variety of reasons, many of which may just simply be false information, which is the case of our, uh, our friend Shimei here in Scripture. So moving on, we'll look now at verse 9. And this is where... Um, Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, demands, Hey, king, why should this dead dog, which was a strong curse in those days, why should this dead dog curse you? You're the king. Let me go over and take care of this. I'll just cut off his head, and that'll fix it. Well... I think the, the, probably the takeaway point from this particular little interaction is simply um, giving unsolicited advice is generally not helpful. Um, I d there was an article in the Wall Street Journal that summarized a, a series of studies that actually proved this. Uh, they proved that, you know, um, Unsolicited advice isn't always helpful, and listen up, men in particular, especially in marriage. <laughs> All right, here we, here we go. I'll give you the facts. Researchers at the University of Iowa conducted a series of six studies that tracked 100 couples for the first seven years of their marriage. They concluded that both husbands and wives feel lower marital satisfaction when they are given too much advice from a spouse as opposed to too little. And unsolicited advice is the most damaging. And, and I, uh, you know, I single out the guys because I know we're fixers, right? We want to solve the problem. And so our wife comes to us and starts to lay out a problem and I think I've learned, and I'm better at this than I used to be. Nod. She's not responding, which means I have work to do. Uh, no, you didn't say anything. That's the problem. Um, we we want to fix things, right? And so we just launch right away into, well, here's what I would do, and there you go. Okay. Um, here's a novel approach. Maybe you could ask, would you like some ideas on that? No. Okay. <laughs> I'll just listen. And I think that's kind of the, you know, what happens here is that um, Abishai has good intentions in this. I mean, he, he, he wants to defend the king, but he's going at it the wrong way. He, you know, to, to say, my lord, the king, what would you have me do to this dead dog who sees fit to curse you? And I think David's response would not have been, I want you to go lop his head off. 
And the thing that, um, the other part of this that I think is also instructive is that so often we operate out of emotion without really stopping and kind of dialing it down a notch before we make a response. And the emotion part gets us in trouble too, just as it would have here. I mean, you know, we go straight to DEFCON 5 and we're going to cut the guy's head off when, in fact, there, you know, there's a little bit more that needs to be known before perhaps that's the right response. And so David's, David's response in verse 10 is, no, who asked your opinion? If the Lord's told him to curse me, who are you to stop him? And this sort of just illustrates, or I guess um, um, accentuates the point I made earlier. Um, don't respond until you know all the facts and know that you may never know them. It's another story that I heard about a man who was invited to come over to a party and he was asked to bring some chairs. And so he arrives at the party without the chairs, knocks on the door, his host opens the door and says, did you bring the chairs? And he says, no. And the guy responds, well that figures, and turns around and walks inside. Well, now the guy is, is kind of hurt, you know, because he's, he feels like, you know, this, this guy has just really, you know, referred to him as an untrustworthy, forgetful, you know, just always bad person. I mean, you, you, you can imagine if you were, if someone had said that to you, how you would feel. You know, it wouldn't be good. You'd start to berate yourself and so forth. Well, it bothered him enough that the next time he saw this man, he decided to ask him about it. And he said, you know, when I came over and I forgot the chairs and you said that figures, what exactly did you mean by that? Well, in asking the question, he learns that throughout this entire day that this had taken place on, everybody this man dealt with either forgot something or didn't do something right or messed something up. And so this was just kind of the culmination. And so what he was saying was, well, the way my day has gone, it just figures that you forgot the chairs. It had really nothing to do with the person who he was addressing. It was more like a comment that he's making to himself. And so... In this instance, I think if someone says something like that, it's a good idea to maybe pursue that if it's bothering you and find out, okay, what did you mean? You know, how, how, why did you say that or say it that way? Um, because you, know, you don't know all the facts. And in the case of the, uh, like the man with the three kids, he might never have known that that's what was, was going through his mind at that moment. Verse 11 now says, Then David said to Abishai and to all his servants, My own son is trying to kill me, which was true. Absalom, his son, was now, uh, because of a series of events that had taken place, was now trying to kill David and assume the throne himself. So he says, My own son is trying to kill me. Doesn't this relative of Saul have even more reason to do so? And perhaps the Lord will see that I am being wronged and bless me because of these curses today. And the advice that I pull from this particular verse is, look 
for what God might be doing in, in that particular situation. See, it's not until we kind of look into it and sort of see, okay, well, what, you know, this is how I'm reading this, but what's the Lord doing here? You know, what is, what's God after? What sort of change in my life or in my thinking might this be the start of or the continuation of? And so it's not until we'll kind of stop and ask that question before we respond which sort of gives us that time to contemplate whatever is happening. Uh, but know that God often will work in you know, these sorts of unusual or even confrontive circumstances. And that we're well advised to sort of try to seek, okay, what, what exactly is God doing in the midst of this? And then the last couple of verses says, so David and his men continued down the road and Shimei kept pace with them on a nearby hillside, cursing as he went and throwing stones at David and tossing dust into the air. The king and all who were with him grew weary along the way, so they rested when they reached the Jordan River. And this might be stretching a point a bit, but I think my takeaway from, from looking at this particular verse is that relief is available when you're willing to move past the offense. I don't know that, that we really ever stop and think about how much mental time and energy we spend reprocessing all of the wrongs that have been done to us. You know, we, we think about them, we twist them around, we think of a thousand and one ways that we're going to respond or we would have responded had we thought about it in that moment, which is probably God's way of keeping us out of trouble most of the time, that your best responses don't really hit you until you're in the car on the way home. Man, if only I'd, if I'd just said this. Now, this is something, you know, that God is really working on me with right now. It's about letting go of the past and just focusing on the now. Now, we make a, a big deal about being authentic and being real here in this church. We don't think anybody should be putting on, you know, kind of their Christian face when they walk in and pretend that everything in their life is great. And I don't put on a pastor suit, become pastor man. You know, when I walk in the door, I'm just Jeff. And so I'm going to share something with you now that, um, that, that has been troubling me that is, I think, a very good example of this, just so that you know I'm not perfect. I know most of you know that. <laughs> Especially my friends from for years know that well. When um, I was married before Sally and I were married, and my daughter Barbara is a product of that marriage. And when um, Barbara was about five, I think, her mother made the decision to move from where we were in Indianapolis to San Diego, California. Now, I fought valiantly but unsuccessfully to uh, maintain custody. And I just... I thought there was nothing worse than 
that, that no job or no situation was worth taking a child away from one of their parents. And I've struggled mightily with that and, and, and held on to quite a grudge about that and have been able to get away with it because there's very little interaction. However, in two weeks, my daughter's getting married. And I get to spend a whole weekend with my ex-wife and her family. And I was letting this, in part, influence the joy that I should have been feeling for this event and casting a real negative shadow on it. And so God's really been working on me, and you look at my journal, you, you'll, you can see that in this last week, it, it's really about you have just got to let it go. Whether that was her intent, or whether it was just a single mom trying to make the best living that she could to support herself and her daughter, doesn't matter. You need to let it go and move on and not let it affect the one of the, the one, something that should be one of the most joyous days of your life. You're going to let this impact if you don't release this. He's right. And as soon as I kind of reconciled myself to that, I could, I could really sense that my, you know, my whole approach and my whole attitude changed about this. And I'm now looking forward to it in a way that I wasn't before. I always was. Don't get me wrong. Um, but now it's changed. And there's not that lingering negative aspect of it anymore. And so what I felt like, um, as, as I wrap this up, what I really have felt like the Lord's led me to do today is to lead all of us in a prayer of release. And that is, if there is anything that you have got in your life, and we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to come here in a second, and in particular to really speak to you about this particular subject. And if there is anything, you know, it, you may already know, you may think you know, but you don't really know exactly what it is the Holy Spirit wants to do today. And so I would ask that if you think you have an idea of what this might be already, that you at least remain open to the fact that the Spirit might push you in a different direction or bring something else um, your mind and then we're going I'm just going to pray this prayer and I would just ask uh, ask you to sort of join me in that now you don't have to you know just in your heart as you as you sit or if you stand because I'm, I'm going to give you the option you can stand or you can sit if, if this is something you want to do um, that's entirely up to you it won't influence the way it works but I just really felt like, in, in, as I was, I didn't even, I wasn't even sure I was, I knew what a prayer of release was. But the, yesterday morning, 
I hadn't really, you know, kind of come to any sort of logical conclusion of the message. And I'm in my journaling time, and all of a sudden this phrase, prayer of release, hits me. And I'm like, prayer of release? I wrote it down and went and sort of did some research and found that that's kind of what this is called, that there's a number of these. And so this is really going to focus on um, anger, resentment, and bitterness. So if there is somebody that you're holding on to anger with, or that you have got this, you know, this bitterness that just sort of is hanging around and influences the way you think about a person or the way you approach a situation, um, or if you just are resentful about maybe someone at work who got promoted over you, or you know, all of those kinds of things that can happen to us. Uh, somebody that, it, it, you know, from your perspective, it appears they're receiving treatment that is exceeds what the treatment that you're getting. And, and so, you know, you, you're just resentful of that person. Well, this is the time that I think God wants to, to deal with that, with all of you. Um, so, if this is, uh, if, if it feels right to you, to stand and do this, I would just ask you to stand. If it feels right just to sit where you are, then do that. There's, a, there's no right or wrong way to do this. And we're just going to be quiet here for a few moments. We're going to ask the Holy Spirit to come. And so I would just pray that you clear your minds of anything that is uh, kind of swirling in there right now. Just close your eyes. Holy Spirit, come. Spirit, you know the, the very fabric of our being. You know that which is good and that which is not good about each one of us. And so, Lord, in this specific area of anger and bitterness and resentment. I, I, I just ask right now that in the name of Jesus, you would reveal to each person here the, na the name or names of people, of groups of people, whatever the case may be, that you would reveal to them things that they need to release to you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, search the inner depths of my heart and expose anything that is not of you so I can be free of it. 
I confess to you now any angerment, any anger, any resentment, or any bitterness that I am carrying as sin. And I ask you to forgive me and to take all of it away. I pray that you would help me to keep letting go and keep releasing these toxic emotions as often as they try to return. Heal any wounds that I have inflicted through my words or through my actions in others and in myself. Help me to speak kind and gentle words and to have only kind and gentle thoughts. Bring your restoration to every situation where it is needed. Thank you, Lord, that you will redeem my soul in peace from the battle that is against me. I believe that you, the God of peace, will crush the enemy under my feet. Help me to live righteously because I know there is a connection between obedience and your ways of peace. Help me to depart from negative thoughts and bouts of depression. Help me to seek peace and actively pursue it. Thank you that you will take away all the anger, resentment, and bitterness in me and keep me in perfect peace because my mind is fixed on you, my Father. In Jesus' name I pray.